power to you, the new world. Give it up for James Early, and please, one more round of applause for our entire panel. Very, very well deserved. Very, very well deserved. We're going to get ready to move into. All power to the people. Yes, all power to the people. I've had the opportunity to work with a lot of people, both young and old, uh, or older. <laughs> and um, man, there are so many people that feel so powerless, especially our people, you know, people of African descent worldwide. Um, so the goal of today's episode and all episodes um, is really to change that. This is Shola Jai, the host of How to Transform an African Nation. Hello, hello. How are you? Uh, it is October 12th, and it's a beautiful day. Um, really grateful for this day and for the family and for the community. Um, we are approaching the middle of the month of October now. Again, time is going by fast, but we're going to get things kicked off here. So just some quick announcements. Um, first... <laughs> As you probably noticed, uh, we did not have our podcast posted the first Friday of the month. You know, kind of did engage that well. Um, uh, it's actually not enough time between our postings, so um, we're switching it up. We're switching it up on you. Uh, you remember that we are brand new, so we're still feeling this out. Please continue to give us some grace. Um, so we are going to post episodes the second Friday and the last Friday of the month now. Um, and that still may change. Who knows? You know, it's all a, it's all a process. Um, but we're hoping this will give us enough time between episodes to collect comments, um, organize our speakers, uh, and put everything together from week to week. So like I said, it's, it's all a process. So thank you for your patience um, as things get uh, produced here and continue to get better and better. Thank you for understanding. So grateful for you. So uh, today's podcast is a preparation podcast, very similar to the very first one we did when we were introducing this podcast um, at the beginning of the month last month. Today's podcast is focusing on introducing the new theme or topic of the month to you so that you'll be ready for our guests when they join us at the end of the month. So the topic today is Pan-Africanism. A lot of people roll their eyes when the word Pan-Africanism comes up. Why is that? Why do people roll their eyes? I really want to know. So please send us a voice note at plus two, three, four. 811-570-5244 um, or email us at team at urforafrica.com about your thoughts concerning pan-africanism we want to hear from you so you're probably wondering what my attachment is to pan-africanism what's what do you care Shola? what do you care about pan-africanism um well i think pan-africanism gets a bad rap I learned about Pan-Africanism from uh, someone I really respect, who's passed on, um, and that person is Malcolm X. Uh, I learned about Malcolm X really late in life, I feel. I feel like I should have learned about him 
in high school, um, but I didn't learn about him until I think college or grad school. I'm going to lean more towards grad school. Um, but I remember thinking, why am I just learning about this man? You know, uh, working in the uh, education system in New York, I did see that students were being required to read one of the books about him, uh, which was called The Autobiography of Malcolm X by Alex Haley. I'm so grateful that the DOE saw the importance in making sure the students read his book. Um, it's a very insightful book um, that just gives you a snapshot into the kind of man he was. Malcolm X was an African-American man born in 1925, and he was someone who was really able to transform his life. If you're talking about transformations, like the way this man transformed his life with every obstacle and challenge that he faced, it was really incredible. And he did some time in prison and became an activist and advocate for black people until he was killed in 1965. He not only worked to empower people of African descent in America, but as he traveled, his impact in communities in different parts of the world was definitely felt, you know, so when he died, people felt that. If you get a chance, definitely look up Malcolm X's speeches on YouTube. He was an amazing speaker. Like, if I'm talking about someone that spoke with so much confidence and uh, he was so assertive um, and firm in his speech, uh, he really had the power to make people think. He was invited to speak in spaces where a lot of uh, white scholars, you know, kind of dominated um, the, the the platforms, you know, um, and he held his own in those spaces. Like he resonated with a lot of people during that time. One of his quotes really resonates with me and I'll read it. I'd love to hear what you all think about it. The African gets respect because he has an identity and cultural roots, but most of all because the African owns some land. For these reasons, he has his human rights recognized, and that makes his civil rights automatic. For me, I believe there is definitely some truth to this statement that Malcolm X made, right? But for, for people that are living in Nigeria and Ghana and South Africa, we know that this statement is complicated. We still have the challenge of class in Africa. You know, we're not, we're not dealing with the same challenges that African-Americans are dealing with or black Europeans are dealing with, right? Because it's not a race issue. We have black people, people of African descent, oppressing other people of African descent on the continent of Africa. So it's not really an issue of race per se, you know, it's very tribal, it's tribal, it's, it's, a, it's a class issue in Africa. Um, and that's not, that's not all of Africa, this is, these are specific regions that I'm talking about. I know that race is still a big issue in areas like uh, Tanzania and South Africa, um, but when we're talking about places like Nigeria and Ghana and DRC and, oh man, uh, it's, it's, it's a little bit different. So my question is, how do we change that? I guess that is the real question, right? 
we can have some fruitful conversations about finding solutions to some of these problems. But the fact that we're not talking about it at all, um, or not trying to find solutions at all, maybe we talk too much, um, is one of our challenges. So anyway, I'm going on a tangent. So uh, that was uh, Malcolm X's comment um, about the African and the need to have control over our own land. And that's a big part of Pan-Africanism too. So I hope you have a little, a little bit more insight into the kind of man that Malcolm X was. Um, and please, 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 I can't say it enough. Definitely check out his speeches. You can find them on YouTube. Check out his speeches. You'll see, like, you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. So over the years, I've had the opportunity to read about a lot of these individuals who considered themselves to be Pan-Africans. People I had no idea considered themselves to be like Pan-Africans, like like Bob Marley or Thomas Sankara or Miriam Makiba, who we discussed in the last episodes, right? But we also have people like Marcus Garvey, who came from the West Indies, I think Jamaica, uh, W.E. Du Bois, Kwame Nkrumah, who's from Ghana, you know, Stokely Carmichael, African-American. We have Peggy Anthrobus uh, from the West Indies, uh, Audrey Lord, American, Fumilayo, Ransom Kuti, Fela Kuti's mom, Nigerian. like this got me thinking like thinking about the history of what happened to all these people and this got me thinking that maybe the reason people have almost this disdain towards African pan-Africanism um, stems from the fact that these representatives of pan-Africanism faced very similar fates and or problems we have assassinations we have people being exiled we have misfortune there are, there are so many negative connections to Pan-Africanism, right? So my hope, <laughs> my hope is that the, uh, the conversations that we're gonna be having this month kind of turn that around. So first let's start with like the meaning of Pan-Africanism, right? The Webster Dictionary defines Pan-Africanism as the principle of advocacy of the political union of all the indigenous inhabitants of Africa. Very, very technical, not inspiring <laughs> at all. Not any kind of description that drives you to want to move to action. So I prefer the Britannica definition. Do you guys remember Encyclopedia Britannica? Uh, Encyclopedia Britannica were a series of books um, that had all this information it could be about history it could be about plants it could be about science um and the only reason i know about it is because my mom got me and my siblings a whole set of these books to refer to um especially because we didn't always have the opportunity to stop by the library so she bought these books so that we would have them in the house and we still have some of them that's what's really crazy about it is that she was able to salvage um what she could from the remaining books that we have guess what? Encyclopedia Britannica is online now. You can find them online, premier.britannica.com. Um, and what's amazing is that they have different types of bundles, different types of memberships. The family bundle is amazing. 
So they have um, a lot of resources for kids in the family bundle. They have like a, a kid activity corner, which has games and handouts um, that you can do that you can do with your kids. Um, it's a great investment. It was a great investment for my for my mom to to make for our family. So it's truly a resource. So check it out premium.britannica.com. Um, I'll also provide the link in the captions on SoundCloud and Google Podcasts where you can find our podcast every month. So check it out. Let us know what you think about it. Okay. Uh, so as I was saying, here is the definition that Encyclopedia Britannica has. Uh, Pan-Africanism is the idea that peoples of African descent have common interests and should be unified. Historically, Pan-Africanism has often taken the shape of a political or cultural movement. There are many varieties of Pan-Africanism. In its narrowest political manifestation, Pan-Africanists envision a unified African nation where all people of the African diaspora can live. And the African diaspora refers to the long-term historical process by which people of African descent have been scattered from their ancestral homelands to other parts of the world. In more general terms, Pan-Africanism is the sentiment that people of African descent have a great deal in common, a fact that deserves notice and even celebration. I love Encyclopedia Britannica. That was an amazing definition for Pan-Africanism. Uh, and what you should know about Pan-Africanism is that it started very early. It started in the early 1900s. Uh, it started in the U.S. Uh, by both African-Americans and Africans who were living in the western part of Africa, like Ghana. Uh, there have been tons of movements to unify people of African descent in many different ways. And unfortunately, many of them have failed. And we'll learn a lot about them in our next episode. So I think one of the reasons this happens is because there is a lot of hurt uh, between our communities, between the African-American community and the African community. Um, check out this clip from a video podcast led by O'Shea Jackson in response to a filmmaker, an African-American filmmaker, who kind of talks about like why he's not for um, Pan-Africanism. He's a he's a filmmaker and uh, activist in his own right, you know. So listen to this clip and um, let's talk about it in a bit. What's good, King Gonda? It's your boy, O'Shea Duke Jackson. Back at it again with another episode of The Celebrity Junk. The other day, Tariq Nasheed had a live stream the live stream was called historic sleight of hand okay and in this particular live stream Tariq Nasheed uh, took the opportunity to have some words about Dr. Umar Johnson but at some point he was responding to what it appears was an African young lady and um, this particular snippet on TikTok. It was called How White Americans Keep Black Americans and Africans Apart. Okay. And let me just talk about the whole just, you know, overall idea of what Tariq Nasheed was saying. Okay. Uh, he was kind of disagreeing with the lady, what she was saying about the real reasons. And he was saying things like, um, you know, black Americans never go 
to white people and talk about Africans, but Africans uh, will definitely talk about black Americans uh, to white people, which I would, I would most likely concur. You, you don't see that. You don't see black Americans. If they talk about Africans, they don't go and do it with other groups. But I, I have definitely seen cases of the, uh, the opposite happening. Okay. And the, 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 at the end of what he was trying to sum up was pan-Africanism is one-sided. African-Americans are tired of the one-sided pan-Africanism. And to be fair to Tariq, he doesn't hate Africans. Um, I heard him say this, you know, I heard him say that he has respect for people um, that are not non-FBAs. He does feel that there is some relationship with some of those people. But overall, he feels like the African-American community are the FBA people that Pan-Africanism as an ideology for them would be them bringing everything to the table and other groups not reciprocating. And one of the reasons that he says that is because he doesn't experience that in the United States. There was a big idea that a lot of Africans benefit from African-American infrastructures. You see it with the HBU system. You see it with um, affirmative actions, you know, like getting into some of the Ivy Leagues. You know, an African person can uh, take a spot for something that's really meant for an African-American and then you see those people not return the favor when they get on trying to open up doors for African-Americans. So I understand the frustration there. And I just don't understand this whole idea of if it's one-sided, well, then what is, uh, what is our side supposed to be? Because I'm trying to figure out what is it that African-Americans outside of those few things, what is it that we do for the African community you know, it, it, on the continent that warrants the value for collaboration. Now, it is true a lot of brothers and sisters will support African shops and things like that. I get it, and I understand that the African community can sometimes have a hard time of, of giving back. That I've heard people say that in Africa. Now, Oshaju Jackson um, brought up some really good points, you know, and that's why I wanted to share them here. Um, what do you think? Do you agree with what Tariq Nasheed is saying? Or do you are, are you on more of the side of Oshaju Jackson? I'll be really interested to know. So please uh, send us an email, team at uarforafrica.com, or send us a message on WhatsApp, plus 234-811-570-5244. Because we all know, <laughs> um, or at least... I, we, I think a lot of us believe that the conversation needs to be had, at least think about it, obviously, but also have the conversation. Um, and it will be a big part of what we will talk about in the next episode, too, with our guests. But what do you think? Do you think that there is animosity between these two communities um, for the reasons outlined by Tyreek Nasheed? Um, and is that, I mean, is it a strong enough reason not to figure out ways to connect and figure out ways to collaborate in a way that will be mutually beneficial. And then the next soundbite I want to share with you uh, is from an, an event that happened earlier in the year, a really great event called Pan-Africanism Today, uh, which was a conference that was held earlier um, and organized with a group that's called Breakthrough News. 
Uh, the speakers were amazing, um, but one of the speakers really brought it home here, and he is a citizen of the Democratic Re Republic of Congo, and his name is Kambale um, Musavuli, uh, and he's an activist as well. So check out what Kambale says here. Why a young man in Harlem felt that what's happening in Mississippi and Alabama is connected to also what's happening in the Congo and lift up the concept of Pan-Africanism, not just a, a location, right? Because you have five or six offices in main offices in, in, uh, on the African continent, say you're in uh, Lagos, you're in Johannesburg, you're in Nairobi, now you become a Pan-African bank. Yes, there is a bank that has the audacity to call itself a Pan-African bank, and that's actually EcoBank. But that's not the Pan-Africanism we're talking about. We're not talking about the Pan-Africanism of the banks. We're talking about the revolutionary Pan-Africanism of the people. And we center this Pan-Africanism of the people with the declaration of the Fifth Pan-African Congress that took place in Manchester in 1945. After two world wars, young Africans from the Americas, from the Caribbeans, some in Europe, met right at the end of World War II, to say, wait a minute, we bleed red like them, how come we colonize? Wait a minute, how come we don't control the resources on our land? And as they sat down, they were clear about what they needed to fight. A world free of exploitation, a world free of colonialism, and free of racism. And they were clear about what they wanted to fight for. In the declaration of that Congress, they say, we are determined to be free. So the freedom is not just for us Africans, it's for the world. So our fight for Pan-Africanism will liberate the world of oppression. Beyond that, they said, we condemn monopoly of capital and rule of private wealth and industry for private profit alone. So these young folks are, say, are now saying, let's go to Africa and wear some canticle off. What they're saying is, we don't control our land. We don't control our resources. We want to make sure that we control it so that not a minority of the local bourgeoisie of Africa, yes, we have that class also on the continent. They look like me, who are still exploiting us. So if we have clear class analysis, we understand why Africans actually fought for uh, independence. So they were very clear, and that's where we ground our Pan-Africanism. A Pan-Africanism based on scientific socialism simply means we do not want to use the options of the West of capital. So as Africans, when we look at what they've done, we say, oh, New York looks beautiful. Paris looks beautiful. Let's make sure Accra looks like New York. How did they achieve that? Development. 400 years of free labor. That's how they accumulated the capital. Is this what we on the African continent have to do? No. One, that option is not available to us. And two, it's inhumane. Where will Africans catch slaves to accumulate for 400 years capital to build a city like New York City? We can't do that. So those who fought for independence, and those who participated in Manchester were clear. If we want to unite 
the oppressed of the world, those who have been subjected, uh, subjugated to slavery, those who have become landless, those who were treated uh, as less than humans, yet still send them to fight their wars. What we must do is, as we unite, that unity means nothing if our bauxite still belongs to the uh, United Kingdom, if our gold is controlled by the Belgians, if our diamonds is controlled by the French. So we, what we have to do before we unite, we must take control of our land, we must take control of our resources, we must exploit these resources, take the profit from that exploitation, and do what with it? Build roads, hospitals, schools, and things that will change the conditions of our people. They call it socialism. So all the activists, not just Kumbale, but all the activists that were part of this panel um, said some really powerful things about not only people living in Africa, but people living in South America and in Europe. Um, so think about it, think about it. Uh, there is so much to unpack from these conversations. Um, what Kumbale is doing is he's connecting folks in Ferguson, in Mexico, in Lagos, uh, the DRC in Haiti, you know, the rich and the poor. There's a lot shared here. So even um, Eugene uh, Puyer, uh, who was a moderator and is also a journalist and the founder of Breakthrough News, um, he was helping to cover the event and he spoke elegantly about what Pan-Africanism can mean for people today, right? Um, so the, a lot of the speakers talked about like organizing and who controls lands and really reading what's happening in the media toward our demographic of people worldwide. Um, so the next step is really figuring out what can we do? Like, what is the next step to take, you know? And that is what we're hoping and, and aiming to discuss in the fourth episode. I'm going to provide all the links to these resources for you um, in the caption section, the sound bites, the Encyclopedia Britannica links. Check it all out. Let us know what you think. Tell me what you want from Pan-Africanism and what you think Pan-Africanism can do for you and, and for us, you know. Um, you can send a voice note to WhatsApp. Um, the WhatsApp number is plus two three four eight one one five seven zero five two four four. Or you can send us a message via email at team at urforafrica.com. Um, but we want to hear from you. We want to hear what you think. We want to hear if you even think this is worth having a conversation about. <laughs> Let us know if this is a waste of time, you know. Um, but I don't think it is. I think that there is more power with us together, since there's so many of us everywhere, um, than there is for us divided. So that's it for today. I hope you enjoyed spending this time with me, learning about and thinking about Pan-Africanism especially thinking about how we can take this word pan-africanism and this movement and this sense of being and make it into something that's more actionable i'm so excited to hear what our guests are going to say too
if you have any issues accessing the material, please let us know by emailing us at team at urforafrica.com. Have a wonderful weekend and looking forward to transforming our communities together. I am Shola Jai, and this is How to Transform an African Nation. Thanks for listening and catch you in a few weeks. Bye.